she believes very much that our vaginas are the source of all of our power. And, you know, it's the very center of, I mean, we were all, we all came out of it one, one, one way or the other. Um, but it's just for women. It's the source of all our power and it's where we tuck our trauma. It's where we tuck our shame. It's where, it's where all our, all our feelings go down there. Um, and so she very much believes in, you know, sort of for want of a better expression, opening it up and, you know, and shifting the energy in there. And there's just some of the things she was talking about, shame and, um, uh, trauma really resonated with me for the first time in a long, you know, in, in my life, I think. And then we sort and then, so then I thought, oh, come on, you always tell everybody, be in the moment, say yes to everything and see what happens. Close your bloody eyes and do the meditation. Welcome to That's What She Said, the podcast for empowering women. My name is Lucienne Shakir, and as a female empowerment specialist, I'm a woman who knows what it's like to lose their mind through a lacking of female sense of self and identity. My aim is to share stories from women around the world to help you see that you are not on your own. If you feel that you are lost in the sea of who am I, these collections of conversations are for you. Sit back and enjoy listening to this phenomenal collective of female voices in That's What She Said. In this episode, I am joined by Lou Featherstone, an inspirational woman who makes my day. I loved interviewing her. We talked all things being a style icon in sustainable fashion. Um, we talked vaginal whispering. We talked uh, being a, a mother. We talked being a daughter. There were some moments of sadness and some moments of deep joy. I have loved watching this woman's journey and I hope that you will enjoy our conversation. I know I did. Uh, please do join us on this episode of That's What She Said with Lou Featherstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What She Said today. I'm so excited. I'm very excited. Can you tell? Um, to be interviewing the incredible Lou Featherstone, who has joined us all the way from, are you in Portland still? Is that where you are? I am, yeah. I'm in Portland in Oregon. Excellent. See, I've done a little bit of research in the background. And you are somebody that I have been drawn to on the old gram. Um, never used Instagram before the app called Clubhouse. So since I was on Clubhouse, I've been using Instagram more and Lou has just been in my face and I've loved it. So thank you so much. Do you stand for a lot of things, Lou? Um I hear you talking about sustainable fashion, about confidence, about women and aging and fitness. And what would you say describes who you are? <laughs> all of the things, I think, all of the things. Um, I think they were all part of the same thing. I'm just having the most incredible um, journey into middle age. Like I have found myself as I've turned 50 um and I've always been the person that if, if if something fun's happening I want everyone to come like you know I will be I started a school camp at school when my son was at school and uh, you know I go camping I'm like I want everyone to come everyone will love it so I don't know <sighs> Sustainable fashion, there's sort of five real, I call them the pillars of Lou and Lou land. You know, sustainable fashion is absolutely, you know, key to everything I do. Um, but through that journey, um, sort of encouraging women to style themselves differently, um, I, I did shopping tour, vintage shopping tours of Portland for a little while. Style and sustainability um, is at the heart of everything. Um, you know, my love for vintage 
um, I found really um, when I gave up shopping for a year, I'm a terrible shopaholic and needed to sort of address some of the issues because it was just getting out of hand. I was buying ridiculous shoes I didn't need, working for social services and spending 270 quid in Kurt Geiger on a pair of shoes. Nothing wasn't adding up. Um, so I stopped shopping for a year um, about nine years ago, and that sort of changed my life um, because um, instead of this constant buying, I had to re-jig what I already had in the wardrobe. I started restyling it in different ways. Um, and one of the, if I'm honest, like one of the things I was worried about giving up shopping was like, what are people going to talk to me about? My clothes are like, you know, I, I need people to tell me I look nice or where did you get that from? So I was worried what I was going to fill that with. So um, when I did then stop shopping and started restyling things differently, it was completely different and it gave me much more confidence and I really the year itself was awful I mean it was a proper physical withdrawal from spending and, but at the end of the year um and I was 41 at this point um when I finished the project the overwhelming feeling that I had was this weird it was like what's this feeling and it was a confidence and it was a and it was the, it was one of the first times I can remember in my life ever feeling really confident and I was like fucking hell it was it all right yeah yeah I'm surprised I didn't swear in the first eight minutes but um yeah sorry about no, that I don't I ever apologize it's confidence. Um, oh, wow. Okay. If I can do that, if I can not shop for a year. I can do anything I put my mind to. And it was the first time I'd ever sort of like really felt that. And then it freaked me out. There was 41 and I surely I should have felt that a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel that. I definitely feel that in terms of getting to a certain age and going, if only I'd felt like this a few years ago. Would you, would you say, Lou, that it was an addiction shopping? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I got fired from jobs for stealing money. You know, I lose my mind with, with it. Just I can't prioritize. It's like an addiction, drug addict. I can't prioritize what's important over the need to have something. Um, I feel like I've managed to, I've, I've gone through several phases. So the stopping shopping was, was a really amazing exercise and turned out not for the reasons that I thought. So I went back to shopping afterwards, but I really readjusted the way I shopped. I'd broken quite a lot of the habits. So I stopped buying magazines. I stopped going to, I stopped going to the shops. If I don't go to the shops and I don't look, I'm good. Instagram's a bit of a killer, especially on the sofa when you've had a couple of gin and tonic. I was doing, um, I did a reel yesterday of all my sunglasses and I was chuckling. I was sitting, like, I was literally sitting in a pile of sunglasses in this chair, like doing one after the other. And uh, I was like, this is so bad. There is so many sunglasses. And I went, yeah, bought that pair drunk. God, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, drunk. <laughs> online shopping, drunk online. I call it drunk online shopping roulette because you completely forget you've ordered it. And then randomly a parcel arrives from China and you're like, yeah, you're supposed to be sustainable fashion. Uh, activist here this <laughs> when my, um, on, on a slight tangent and she'll love that I've brought this up but when my mum had her bunion operation when she had one of her bunions removed and my mum's a very young mum and it was a, this big deal um she had incredible painkillers and she spent most of that month just buying and stuff would turn up and she'd be like, what, what is it? I've got no idea when I bought this. So that was happening. That's happening to you when you're, you know, you've had a couple of gins. Would you say then that it creeps back in that need to buy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're always yeah. having to work and on it. The weirdest thing is, I think a lot of people, you know, obviously shopping's very much attached to your emotions and things, but I shop when I'm feeling good and I feel confident and I'm in a good place, not when I'm down. So that feels a bit back to front because I deserve something and then I can justify it myself. It's amazing the things you can tell yourself on your head. But then it's, I, so I did simmer down. I simmered down the quantity had really did slow down and I started to want to buy more unique pieces and things that stood out and that would last me so then I then that's when I really started vintage shopping like a crazy woman and then when we came to America I mean the vintage here is just very is bountiful and cheap it's just it's so good so I started to do these vintage shopping tours of Portland um, and I'd work, I work for Airbnb so that you can do an experiences with Airbnb. And it's so fun. You, if you go anywhere, you know, remember those days when we went traveling places, but 
when you go a place, you could stay with a local or stay in a local's house, but you can also do an experience with a local. So people would book to come with me and I had people from all over the world. Um, and it's just, it was, I had men and women, couples. It was just after about four tours, I was like, I don't have to, I'm never going to have to work again. I'm going to do this for two years and I'm going to have a book of the funniest stories <laughs> ever. Every, you know, sh- shopping with a couple um, and most, you know, I advertise it, you know, if you want to shake your style up on, and learn how to thrift, because lots of people get really overwhelmed with thrifting and vintage stores. You know, when you're standing in Goodwill, all I hear is, oh, it's just too much. Let's get out of here. Or you know, they don't know where to start. So I thought, well, let's see if I can help people sort of navigate the rails and show them how I kind of do it. Um, so it was just so fun. I had these really fast three hour tours with these people and just completely shake up their style. I had this woman came, I only wear black and white. She went home with a yellow jumpsuit. <laughs> I was like, yes, I'll take that. Boom. I love it. I love it. But while I was, while I was doing the tours, I was spending all the money I was making buying stuff because it was in the shops every bloody day. So the vintage collection grew and then again, I got to a point where I was like, okay, this is getting crazy again. But everything's $3.99 or $2.99. So it was sort of like, you know, again, I could justify it to myself. But then I started Lou and Luland rent my wardrobe and I decided to start renting out all my clothes, all the vintage. So I set that up and that had just started to really take off um, when COVID hit and everyone stopped going out and certainly, <laughs> certainly stopped renting out of it. So that was annoying. But that was amazing, actually. Rent My Wardrobe is a really incredible journey. And I think going back to the original question, we probably still haven't even answered. Um, it's I am on a real journey. And so Instagram and Lou in Luland is, is absolutely me. It's my journey at the moment. So Rent My Wardrobe, I set up. I was worried. I, was, I didn't want to invest in a big website and a complicated system. So I just set it up on Instagram and I thought, well, let's see if there's a market for it. My friend's got a big spare room. So we turned it into a studio. I shot all the clothes, did it all for nothing, put it all on Instagram. Um, I was already with my sustainable packaging for posting things out and no one wanted to put, nobody wanted to post it. They were like particularly Portland people said, can we come and have a look? Um, so I'm like, oh God, yeah, okay, fine. I'll tidy up a bit. And so then I created the wardrobe downstairs. It was like a weird weird area in the house where we that we rent so I turned it into a wardrobe and now women come you know they book an appointment they come we go through the rails we put some tunes on dance around have a gin they come with their girlfriend amazing and it's so fun because they something about because it's renting and because you've got someone encouraging you you know when you're in the changing room at the, at the at, in in the store um and you say to the if you're on your own you've got no one to ask what do you think what do you think so this is fun because people get out of their comfort zone. They'll try try some of my crazy shit that they would never normally do and don't want to spend $120 on. But for $30, they'll rent it and wear it to a party or a wedding. And I've, I've dressed a bride who's eloped to New York. I've dressed people. I've done people for whole vacations. They'll come and fill a suitcase and off they go. But the best thing is they try new stuff. And that's that's Lou in Luland. See, how long did that take? 15 minutes for one answer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. I, you can see why I was so excited about bringing you on. And what I see when I'm watching you is just sheer joy and, and, and happiness in, in what you're doing. And it's very difficult sometimes to, to kind of remove yourself from just what you're seeing and to ask, you know, actually, what is going on with this woman? How she got to this point where she can do what she does? Because, you know, a lot of people will be watching it and it might trigger some women who have this inside of them, this Lewin Luland element of themselves, but they've always repressed it. And there might be women who use it as an inspiration and start doing it themselves what what kind of comeback or pushback have you seen from what you're doing as being a quite an outspoken, open, avert female who's now in her 50s? <laughs> I mean, I've always been this, like, this is not new. So I think anybody with a very loud personality will know Um we live our life like that with, I'm, you know, I'm so Marmite, you love me and we hate me. And that's, it's kind of fine. Of course you want people to like you, but also, oh, I don't know, I'll care less as I've got older, that's for sure. You know, I don't want to offend anyone, but I also know that like, you know, 
loud, brash, bad language, you know, waving vibrators around, you know. My dad's been pretty amazing to watch. My dad's a vicar. Oh. Um, <laughs> maybe that, I should have started with that. So maybe more pieces click That's in. Brilliant. Um, oh my goodness me. So he's quite, you know, he's had quite a journey with it, but he's coming around to it. Like he's, he's a, he finds it all a bit much sometimes. Sometimes I don't put the things on. He's not on Instagram. So sometimes I don't put everything from Instagram on the Facebook. I always have to bear in mind that dad is watching some of it. Uh, and he is a 70-year-old man, so he finds some of it tricky. But trying to educate him on the fact that, you know, if we just talk about the shit, if we talk about normal bodies, if we talk about vibrators, if we talk about women taking care of themselves. I mean, actually, funnily, you know, I had a drink last night in the park with somebody I've met through Instagram. Um, we just got chatting. She's another, she's super into fashion. Um, she's married to a neurodivergent husband. Um, and we, it was a fascinating evening. We met in the park, had a couple of margaritas and a really lovely chat. Um, oh my God, now I can't remember what I was going to say. What was I going to tell you? <laughs> we were talking about your dad. We were talking about your dad. And then we were talking about adversity and pushback. Okay, I'm going to come back to my friend from the park last night, but two, I've had two really bad experiences online. Mostly I find online communities have been amazing, really supportive. But I decided for the last year, people have been going, you should get on TikTok. You should get on TikTok. So I'm like, mm, I don't know. TikTok seems I'm a bit old for TikTok. I feel like I haven't got any time. I can barely cope with my direct messages on Instagram. Can't cope with TikTok. So then I was like, well, let's have a look. So I started doing TikTok and I bloody love it. So much fun. And it's actually not that much work. And it's really amazingly creative so it really you know my mind's always get, you know I wake up in the night going oh good idea I keep literally put notes by the bed or I watch stuff and I'm like I could do that so much better watch me go um but a couple of weeks ago I was I saw a reel and it was how old are you and um it was just a quick it was a quick funny one I was like I'm not even gonna bother putting it on Instagram I'll just do a quick one for TikTok because I need to put something up um, and you go, how old am I? And then you put up, you know, 40, 48, 57. So I put, I think I put 35, 49, 29, now 50. Um, I went, oh, that was fun. Good. That was easy. Posted it, went to sleep, woke up. Phone's going, the phone was blowing up. It was going viral. I was like, what's happening? What's happening? Oh my God. It was like, I got 20,000 likes on it. So I was like, Oh, this is good. God, that was brilliant. And then I started to scan the comments. Oh my God. 60, 65, I'd say 70. These are the comments. Uh, if you were wearing a face mask, I would have thought you could get away with 80. <laughs> it was brutal. Nice abs. The skin's hanging over them a little bit. It gives your age away. It was like, Oh, Oh, but for the first, for the first 10 minutes, I was like, uh, oh, my God. And then I just started laughing. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not bothered. I'm really not bothered. Like, I don't care. I really don't care. If you look this good when you're 50, you get back to me, a little 15-year-old. <laughs> Damn right. Well said. Absolutely brilliantly said. No, so I was going to say the vibrators are uh, – if every time I post a vibrator post, you you have to be prepared, you're going to lose about 20 followers. Because I think I don't do it every week. It's probably every couple of weeks I put something in there. Um, not out, you know, just not mainly because I just don't want it to be all vibrators. <laughs> um, you have a page <laughs> just about vibrators. I don't want to just be about the vibrators, but it is a large part of, um, it is a large part of the journey. Um but, oh, that's why I was telling you, I was talking to you, I was talking to my friend in the park last night about my journey into vibrators because she said, um, I said, I haven't been in, I, you know, I only really got into um, self-care probably about three years ago and got my first vibrator after a really long, hilarious story that we definitely don't have time for. But one day when we go to the pub, I'll tell you because it's really funny, but it involves my friend's dog doing shit in the sex shop. And anyway, um, <laughs> I've got my first vibrator. I know, right? It's a funny see. I've just put my hand over my eyes and I'm looking <laughs> through my eyes. Anyway, yeah, let's stick to, to the story. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't believe I don't believe that you've only just sort of like got into it in the last few years and I went no I really have like it's a it's it's a new thing for me but it's I've managed it makes me feel so sexy in myself and it's all about me it's just for me it's all about me it's not to do with anybody else um and I feel sexy for me um and it's also it's like giving up the shopping and feeling this confidence it's like huh okay then and for a long time I associated, um, you know, I think I've associated sex with all of the wrong things, all of the wrong things, making other people happy, um, trying to make myself happy with it in the wrong way. Um, I've been through, you know, sexual assault. I had a really traumatic pregnancy and birth. I um, was really promiscuous for a very long time. Um, that was a fun bit, but it probably wasn't the healthiest um, uh, period of my life, although I do have also a lot of good stories to tell. Again, we need another drink in the pub. Um, I went to this women's group about three years ago, which is the very beginning of all of this journey, really. Um, and that was um, a woman called Tammy Kent, and she's known as the vagina whisperer, and she's a vagina therapist. Um, she's got a TED Talk, and you, you should look it up because it's really powerful. And she's written some books. And um, I didn't know that much about her, to be honest. My friend wanted a ride to the group, this women's group we belong to, and she was running the session about setting intentions. And I was like, oh, it's all a bit woo-woo for me. I don't really want to go this month. And she was like, you know, give me a ride. So I was like, fine. So we arrive at this women's group, and um, everybody starts meditating to their vagina. And I'm like, well, I mean, really? So we're going to get punked. You know, I was sitting there with one eye and the arms folded going, no, 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 no. Anyway, she, the more this woman talked, the more I started to listen. And she um, she believes very much that our vaginas are the source of all of our power. And, you know, it's the very centre of, I mean, we were all, we all came out of it one, one, one way or the other. Um, but it's just for women. It's the source of all our power. And it's where we tuck our trauma. It's where we tuck our shame. It's where, it's where all our, all our feelings go down there. Um, and so she very much believes in, you know, sort of for want of a better expression, opening it up and, you know, and shifting the energy in there. And there's just some of the things she was talking about, shame and um, uh, trauma really resonated with me for the first time in a long, you know, in, in my life, I think. And then we sort of, and then, so then I thought, oh, come on, you always tell everybody, be in the moment, say yes to everything and see what happens. Close your bloody eyes and do the meditation. And the next morning, I don't, the session was, I, I was really into the session and I can't really, I'd love to be able to tell you this defining moment when this huge thing went off in my head. But I, I went home going, mm, okay, that gave me some things to think about. And then the next morning I woke up and um, I came into the kitchen and, and my family were like, uh, what's up with you? And I'm like, I don't know, but me and my vagina feel very powerful. We're going to take over the world. And my son was watching YouTube and I was like, oh, YouTube what are you watching? He showed he was watching something ludicrous. So I was like, I should set up a YouTube channel. And he was like, oh my God, no, no one will watch it. What will you even call it? And I'm like, I don't know if I call it Margarita's Midlife and the Menopause. I don't know. No one's going to watch it. It's going to be awful. And off he went to school and I spent all day watching YouTube. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to set up a YouTube channel. And I did. I rang a friend in England who runs a course for women who are trying to become more visible with their business. And she teaches them how to vlog for their business. I was like, what app do I need? I'm setting up a YouTube channel to annoy Oscar. And uh, she said, I've got a course starting on Monday. Why didn't you join it? And I did. And that was the beginning of all of it. That's incredible. And full circle. Mm -hmm. Weeks ago, I had a documentary. I talk about the Vagina Whisperer quite a lot because it really was quite a powerful um, turning point for me and she really shifted my energy full circle two weeks ago I had a filmmaker fly to Portland from New York to make a film about me and my journey of the vagina whisperer from that and she went and interviewed her and the vagina whisperer did a session with her and she came back the next we did some filming then she went to see her to interview Tammy then she came back to me the next day and I opened the front door and she was standing on the front doorstep going she's amazing she's amazing I completely see what you mean um, and it's completely blown her away. So she was gone skipping back off to New York going, oh, me and my vagina. <laughs> it's just, it astounds me that we are still living in an age where I think, I think we always think as human beings, we're a lot more progressive than we actually are. And I think that 
what's really interesting about what you're saying and what's quite sad actually about what you're saying is that many young people coming through kind of you know their 20s and into their 30s are still only just hearing about, you know, understanding their periods, understanding what their vagina is, where their vagina actually is, what, you know, what part of your body is the vagina, because there's a lot of myth around that. And that's because it's been demonized for such a long time. If, if we were talking about, you know, if we were talking about the male body, it would be very different because we haven't got that ownership concept and and it's all been about reclaiming our ownership and gaining that opening up and gaining that power and that energy but i think it's going to take a very long time before that suppression really does filter out and i'm i'm in my late 30s and i've only just started tracking my cycle my menstrual cycle and it's crazy because I'm a high performance coach working with women. The first thing we need to do is understand our cycle. And mm-hmm. absolutely. And even, even post periods. Yeah. Still, still the same. same. It's yeah. still the same. So I'm reading, um, you might enjoy, you've probably read it to be honest, Maisie Hill's Period Power and Perry. Oh, no, yeah, peri, perimenopause power. It's a really, really good book. And um, it's changed my life. And it's changed many of my clients' lives. So I highly recommend period power. Um, yeah, anyway, so from um, the vagina whisperer to period power, <laughs> to, to you now having clean glasses. Um, what would you say, and I, I love asking this question because it, it gets us to think about the world a little bit differently. We've had a world created for us that we've been born into. What would Lou's utopian world look like? What would there be more of? What would there be less of? Where would you go? What would you do? Tell me a bit about that. Oh, can you imagine? I don't know. Oh, we'd have no racism. That would be the first. That would definitely. And free healthcare. This country is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. You're absolutely, you can have no idea. Um, We've gone, just to give you a really very quick, I promise it'll be quick. Uh, My son had an accident. It all happened quite quick. So we had to go to the A&E and then we saw a consultant and then we saw another consultant and then he had the operation and we had a backup with it. Um, And then we had a sort of like post-op. And we went for, and we pay, we pay the top, uh, we're in the top package. So we pay $1,300 a month for coverage. Um, and then despite that, within one week, we'd racked up $10,000 worth of debt. Just like that. Just from a small incident, from a really small incident. We're going to be dicking around with these things. So, uh, but um, I'm just like that. And we've got, and it is so complicated to navigate it all. Turns out I was supposed to, I've lived here six years, never, you know, we, none of us have ever had to have an operation. Turns out we're supposed to get a quote. The insurance company went, well, didn't you get a quote? And I went, is he a car? I, I, what do you mean I'm supposed to ring around and get the best price I can for a set? Yes. Wow. But you told me it'd be $400. Well, how is it now? 10000 Um, And they went, well, I should have got a quote. Did you not get the $400 written down? I went, Nobody told me I needed to get a written quote. So I would have equal health care for everybody. Um, um, oh, what else? Utopia. I just, I think I keep lots of things the same, but I just wish people would be kinder to each other. <laughs> just be kinder to each other. Be honest. I don't know. Just be honest. Ask, be able to ask for help. Um, that's something I really struggle with, of really struggling with asking for help. Um, I don't know what it is. Why do we not do that? Why do we? It's interesting. That? We were talking. I was talking about that exact thing with someone today, um, and I, I mean, I come from this. I'm surrounded by women who have this veneer of perfection thing going on. So they've worked for decades to get to where they are, where they are. Mostly, kind of CEO, CFO. MD kind of roles and if you put your hand up and you say I don't know or I need help 
it's almost like you're taking away a lot of that hard graft as a woman especially and so I mean I know that men don't ask for help either you know so it's a bit it's a big problem this asking for help um so I'd I'd love to ask you you know I'd love to ask you but it might it might be a bit personal I don't know if you if you could have asked for help sooner when would it have been and what would it have been for I think after my sexual assault, I wish I could have told anyone. I wish I could have told anyone. Um, I think and for sure when I had postnatal depression. I mean, I the minute I got pregnant, I was like, oh, God, I'm not sure I like this. And then um, I had a traumatic birth with him. He was just massive and wouldn't come out, thanks, thankfully, to be honest, on reflection now, 17 years down the line. Um, so that was, I ended up having a general anaesthetic cesarean. So when I woke up, he was feeding. I literally woke up and there was this gigantic toddler feeding. <laughs> it was like, ooh, ooh. So that was kind of weird. So then the next two, two years were like, and he wasn't even cute. He was just gigantic and bold for two years. And I was just, didn't know what to do. And my husband, you know, had a very high flying career up in London. So I went back to, you know, was commuting four hours a day. So I was like, none of this was the plan. <laughs> um, you know, so I spent two years pretending I wasn't doing Gina Ford while frantically running along Brighton Seafront so I could get him back at 11.30 and close That was curtains. me. That was me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm at one, minute, I'm at the, one minute I'm up the mum's group going, yeah, God, yeah, I was breastfeeding. <laughs> breastfeeding in Sainsbury's yesterday. <laughs> really, I'm like, oh, got to get home. <laughs> got to get him to sleep in the dark. Oh, my God, she nearly broke me, Gina Ford. Oh, I, I think God. she saved my life. She nearly broke you, oh. did she? Oh, well, because I because he wouldn't do what she told me he should do. So then it was more failure. It was more failure, and I think that was one of the things with come with Tammy. You know, I I got you know I was raped. Then I miscarried. You know, I had an abortion in my teens. I you know spent years being promiscuous, and then my vagina's proper job. I failed at that as well. So it was just sort of like, huh, okay, as a woman not really nailing any of the things that I, you know, so there's so much shame. And so now to have worked my way through that now. So for years, people would say, you know, I worked for many years, I worked for social services with families in, in crisis. And I would go and I was a family support worker in Brighton and I, um, where children would be out to be removed and put into care. I'd go in uh, and work with the families and try and keep them at home and do parenting skills, you know, I'd be in there every morning helping to make pat lunch, get the kids in the uniform, get them to school, pick them up, you know, little things like, very, you know, things that for a lot of us are quite simple, um, hard work, but for some are just really difficult because they've never grown up like that. Amazing job, absolutely amazing. It's my favourite job I think I've ever had and I miss it terribly. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to actually be part of someone's life, you know. My husband was going to London earning a fortune in the, you know, in the ad agency and I'm like you know, up at, up at the estate, helping try and keep a child with a family and teach a parent how to be, you know, better if, if they can be. So, you know, I was like, hmm, yeah, this for me, that was a better day at work. But, you know, um, his job did afford us an amazing lifestyle. So it was a good balance. But um, now I've lost my train of thought as well, of course. That's okay. You have, you, have, you have a sip of coffee. The problem with me is that I just get so immersed into what I'm listening to that I sometimes forget the question that I've even asked. So, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. I'm loving, I'm loving the journey. I'm absolutely loving it. It's brilliant. So you, you've had the, the, do you know what? My, my heart was doing something very interesting when you were talking about um, the rape, the um, m miscarriage, the you know all the other all the other bits and pieces, and it's we carry a very heavy weight of responsibility. And you mentioned the word "should." The thing that I had didn't even do what it should do, what it was supposed to do. And now that you've gone through that experience of really opening up and and being who you are. 
what advice do you give to somebody who is still shooting on themselves about their body and their <laughs> vagina? Still shitting on yourselves. I love that. It's amazing. I think that that is a Tony Robbins quote, but I'm not sure. But I hate the word should. I really struggle with it. Um, So shooting on yourself. What would you? What advice would you give? (sighs) That's why I try to. I encourage people to just step out of their comfort zone because I think the more you do that, even in the smallest of ways. I would, you know, Hike Squad and my amazing bunch of women that I have here, we we always say fortune favors the brave. You know, even if the weather forecast is crappy, we're like, let's go for it anyway. And it's very rare we've ever hiked in rain. And considering we live in the Pacific Northwest, that's saying something that we the the Hike Squad weather gods always shine on us. If we get up at four a.m. for a sunrise, it always pays you back. And this morning I was like, oh, I've got a podcast at eight. I haven't got time to go to the gym, so I went out and went for a hike instead and took a coffee up the top and I sat on a bench and the sun sort of popped up from behind a volcano with this huge rainbow all around the sun so I don't know like I just every time and that was before 7 a.m so if you just push yourself I don't want to get out and go for walk it's the last thing I felt like doing was like come on do it you know it you know it you know it you know it I don't know. I remember someone saying to me years ago when I was in the throes of postnatal depression, if you had the confidence that we could all see in you, you'd be dangerous. And I was like, well, that's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. Um, I don't know. I just go with the flow, go with the journey, feel all the feels. That's what I was going to tell you. So for years, when I worked for social services, people would say, how do you do that job? See, I get there eventually. I guess. I don't know if you know, weed is legal in, in in Oregon, right? So there's that and Alzheimer's and middle age. So it's in the menopause. I remember very little. <laughs> At least you've services. got an excuse. I don't have an excuse. <laughs> anyway, yeah, social services. When I work for social services, obviously some of those cases were harrowing and tricky and as well as wonderful and, you know, you know, life-giving. Um People are like, how do you work with these people? You know, how can you go in these houses? And uh, or you know, how do you cope with this? How do you cope with that? How do you? How have you managed just to f- put that relationship to bed? I'm like, well, I've got this amazing skill. I literally have boxes, and I put all things in the boxes, and then I put the lid on and I file it away. It's brilliant. It's genius. And I and I think um, that comes from it was a skill I learned. When we were, when I was a vic, when I was growing up as a vicar's daughter, we moved all the time. So I was born in London, then we moved in London, then I moved to Evesham, and then I moved to Worcester, then I moved to Kidderminster. I mean, every time God called, off we hoofed, and the whole, you know, and, and off we went. And so nothing really ever lasted for me. So when I went to therapy a few years later, they were like, "Well, you know, no wonder you're a little bit." you know, all over the place, nothing had any stability for you. You just moved and reinvented yourself and moved and reinvented yourself. And I was like, oh my God. And then after the vagina whisperer, and as I got a little bit older and I started having some therapy, um, I started realizing that the box filing system was probably what I what I proclaimed was a superpower and aren't I clever was quite possibly the worst thing I could ever done. Because when you get to a rock, rocky patch or you start, you know, you get to a point in your life, you start being a bit more reflective and like, you know, turning points, like the kids got older. What, what What's for me now? Bloody hell, my son's leaving school. Fuck me, what have I done with my life? I've just been facilitating my husband's career. I've been traveling around the world making sure he's all right. I've been making sure everybody else is all right. And guess what? Uh-huh, uh, what the fuck? You know, and all of a sudden, oh, the boxes, they can't come out, flinging themselves open and everything starts coming out. And it's, oh, you're like, ah, oh, shit. I really, really had buried that deep probably in my vagina somewhere. So gradually now I choose to open, I've gradually worked through the boxes and I pulled them out and I've opened the lids and I've dealt with it. And if it's shit, I've just gone down with it. But then once you go down with it, you can come back up again. But until I kind of work through them, so I'm all about feeling all the feelings, which is why my I think sometimes my Instagram, I'm like, God, there's too many feelings on here. You should just go back to clothes. <laughs> just go back. <laughs> no, not allowed. There is no shoulds allowed. And you are not allowed to stop doing what you do because it's so inspirational. I love it. Speaking of inspiration, 
who is your inspiration? Is there a woman that you look up to or from history who you think is just a phenomenal inspiration that you tap into? Or is it just all from you? Um, My mum. My mum. Yeah. And I've gone through... um, I'm going to look crap. Sorry. She's got Alzheimer's and has uh, got diagnosed when she was 60. Um, She retired a year before my father. She was a senior probation worker. She worked with um, uh, quite serious sex offenders um, and uh, rehabilitating them when they left jail, which is an incredibly hard job. Um, You know, they're such do-gooders, my parents. They're just such phenomenal human beings. Um, So both of those, really. Anyway, so she got diagnosed. uh, So she retired a year before dad. And during that year, she just did weird things like throw all the family jewellery away and threw away half the family photos. But we had no idea she was doing it. She was just acting really strangely. And then it took another sort of year or so to really, for us to start actually saying out loud, what's she up to? And then sort of convinced dad that he really needed to get her checked and you know now she's in a home and has been for for quite a few years now and it's just brutal watching you know she just you know I miss her so much she was so wise but the good thing is she was so wise and she's so in me I just have to I can, can hear what she'd say you know, my sister and I go, oh, what would Granny Sue say? <laughs> what would Granny Sue do? And I do know every time. But she was just so good with advice. She always had the kindest, wisest advice for everyone. And she managed to just always just find a balance between the two, even in the trickiest situation and make you feel like it's all going to be all right. Um, so, yeah, I think her. Sorry, I miss her wisdom terribly. Yeah, uh, and we really feel it, don't we, when it's when it's not there. And I've never I've never known anyone to look fabulous still whilst crying. So uh, you <laughs> ticked that box as well, Lou. So thank you for that. The eyes, it's terrible. I wish I wasn't such a crier. No, no it <laughs> clearly needs to come out. It clearly does. Um, sending you lots of love there. Um, okay, let's let's make this a little more. Um, I, I like the conversation. I like how we've gone around the houses and in and out. All the questions have been answered. We've had a bit of emotion. Let's kind of let's kind of go a little more surface level. So we've talked about your biggest inspiration. We know that fashion is huge for you, especially sustainable fashion, and that you love your pink Gucci glasses. I know that they have been your favourite. There they are. Are they? I've had a cry. I should wear these. I'm going to wear these glasses. They're wonderful. (laughs) I love them. Um, They are fabulous. Uh, Nearly as fabulous as you. Um, What? How do you choose what to wear? So it sounds like such a stupid question, but you've gone all. So this is important. This is not superficial because what we wear does do something. So let's imagine you this morning you've gone on your walk and then you get ready for the podcast how do you choose what you're going to put on oh my god well that that will yeah it depends on what's happening that day so if I'm recording or I'm filming stuff or if I'm just if I'm going out for lunch where I'm going to lunch um because you don't want to blow a mega outfit if I'm just meeting my mate for a quick cry and a lunch (laughs) it's changed actually do you know what it's changed I used to plan it out in advance I think when I was on a nine to five job I was like I would plan it out in advance look at the weather forecast it's always number one always look at the weather forecast Um, I'll go from there and so yeah we'd be much more planning now I've got the wardrobe downstairs I, I literally just wander down and stand in the middle and just have a little look around and see what like literally leaps off the shelf at me. Um, 
which is terrible because that's often the same thing because I've just shoved it back and it's still sticking out. And I'm like, oh, that was good yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that was good last week. I'll wear that again. Um, but I try desperately hard to rotate things because I've got so many good things. It's just like, oh, sometimes I go down there and I can't choose. Um, but it, yeah, my I used to, when I was shopped, I can always remember I was, if I'm standing in a shop, I'm like, will anybody say, where did you, my brief was to myself was always, would Carrie Bradshaw wear it? And will someone ask you where you got it from? <laughs> it's one thing I'm always, I say quite a lot when I, um, people in America are really uh, it's so positive living here, particularly in Portland. It's so friendly. People are, you know, everywhere you go, people are like, Oh, I love your outfit. Love your sunglasses. Da, 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 da. And I love that because it starts conversation. These sunglasses have started more conversations. Um, honestly, I think they could solve world problems because people literally gather around you. They're like attracted to them. This woman was following me around the supermarket and she said, can I just say those glasses, they make me feel like you're ever so friendly. <laughs> Which I just always oh, such a wonderful thing to say. It made me so happy. But you know, like British people are terrible about telling each other they look nice. One a, a couple of years ago, I came back for a visit in the summer with my son, and I was like, "Let's be tourists. We'll go on an open top bus and we'll go around London." And um, so I put on. I was like, "Right, obviously, there's going to be loads of photo opportunities and phone boxes and things. Let's go. Let's pull out the big guns. So a beautiful dress, <laughs> dripping in in accessories." All day, not one person. I said to Oscar at the end of the day, not one person's told me my outfit looks good today. Maybe it's just not a good outfit. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. It's bloody British people. Yeah. <laughs> Do you miss England? Do you miss England? Oh my God, terribly. Terrible. Even though we're full of misery yeah. people and. Really misery. Everyone's so damn miserable. I do love the American positivity. I mean, Brits just are like, oh, bloody Americans. Um, but it is an amazing, when you live in it, it's very different. So, you know, I think Americans get a bad rap for being bolshy and loud and all this thing. But then watching my son come move here at 10, he was 10 when we moved here and he was very shy and very unconfident and then they breed the confidence in them at school they have to do public speaking every week from like age 10 they have to present you know he can stand up in a class full of people and just present now it's like it's amazing watching them breed it in them in school is, is incredible and a couple of it's interesting actually a couple of nights ago a couple of his friends who were girls from school they're 17 pop round to borrow something and they were standing in the kitchen and these girls were just they were so loud and confident and full of their plans for summer and it was so exciting and then but quite overwhelming like even for me and they left and I was like god blimey that was a lot and then you you're like supposed to be the empowerment person but it was like wow they just took up so much space it was brilliant I was like I love this um just so confident and I just don't remember being like that as a as a teenager I was you know shy and not shy I wasn't shy but I was awkward um embarrassed a lot of the time I think because my dad was the vicar and um yeah it was um it was something else I was sort of like I feel like the youth are going to sort us out. I'm hoping so anyway. Let's hope so. For sure, let's hope so. Um Lou, I'm going to I'm going to wrap it up even though I could talk to you for a few weeks on end. Um because I just I, honestly and it's not very often that I reach out to people that I don't know and and Lou was just amazing. I I watched her and I held my breath and I was like she's do you feel like as a bit of a noob on social media you feel like a bit of a stalker when you're like would you like to come on my podcast please I really like what you do well it's the it's funny because um I love I feel like Instagram or social media certainly Instagram community is just a circle of you know everybody I find it so supportive apart from that awful TikTok moment where everyone's guessing I was 80 um it's it's most really really supportive and you know people re have reached out to me and a lot of people say oh you know I feel really nervous reaching out to you I spoke to someone yesterday and they went you know six months ago when we met you had 8,000 followers and now you've got 25,000 I was like oh when you say it like that that sounds that's quite a lot um you know so um but if 
if people reach out to me, like I always uh, try to answer my direct message as best I can. I can never answer all the comments. And I know lots of Instagrammers have spent hours replying to all the comments. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I read all of them and I like them and I don't have time. But if people direct message me, I always try to respond if they've taken the time to do that. And I love that I've struck up so many friendships and relationships through that. And then, you know, the girls who I've done this T-shirt, we did a T-shirt collaboration where they, you know, they started a little brand and they sort of reached out and they said, you fancy doing something together? And I was to say yes to everything because, um, yeah, let's go for it. It's been, it's been absolutely amazing. And now I'm when I come back to England in the summer, I'm going to go to Cardiff and stay with them and we're going to do an event. I want to come and meet you. I want to come and meet you in person. Oh, my well, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do some events in I'm gonna do one in Brighton, one in London, and one in Cardiff. I'm gonna do um some I'm teaming up with some other fitness people. We're gonna do a workout, eat some food, have some drinks, do a clothes swaps. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. They're all coming. Amazing. Another thing that's coming is a course on confidence, something that's really people who are listening to this who follow my work, I talk about the the gap between confidence and competence and what confidence actually is. So I, I was thrilled when you said that you're releasing a course on confidence. So do you just want to tell us a bit about that before we head off? Yeah, that's, um, it's going to be a three month online course, which I'd hope to be ready in April, but who turns out it's a lot, lot more work sort of preparing it and making sure that it's right. Cause I want to, uh, you know, I really want it to be amazing. And I've partnered with quite a lot of people cause I'm not an expert. Like we were saying right at the very beginning, which was hours ago, I think, cause I haven't stopped talking. Um, I'm so many things trying to narrow it sort of down and sort of hone it. Um, and so I've been on quite a journey since I started writing the course and it's morphed itself. So I just wanted to give, let it sit over the summer and make sure it's, it's, it's but I really believe in it. Um, so it's going to be, just helping women find ways to step out of their comfort zone, switch their mindset to sort of a positive outlook and just see, give us some tools for doing that and some, you know, little daily routines through fitness, through styles. We're going to do some events, going to have a wicked sort of little group. I've partnered up with nutritionists, with menopause specialists, with alternative therapists, with so many people. It's going to be online dance parties, um, meditation to your vagina, shifting your bloody energy. So this is what it's going to be. It's really exciting. I love it. Brilliant. Well, <laughs> I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in the middle of the mood board right yeah, now. <laughs> it is. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And you've got a massive disco ball. I didn't realise it was disco ball next to you. Look at that. Incredible. A disco ball by the bed. Look. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Um, Lou, I, I thank you for the top bottom middle of my heart and from my vagina as well I'm gonna thank you from my vagina too why not why not embrace the vagina thanks um you're phenomenal we can look out for you on Instagram we'll tag you in this and um I've been Lucien you've been Lou and uh we have been on that's what she said thank you so much what a woman am i right she absolutely blew me away please do go and have a look at lou's instagram profile especially because i know that it will put a smile on your face she is a leading light in empowerment and i am drawn to her like a moth to the flame i will definitely be procuring some some sparkly gucci glasses who knows she was phenomenal and I thank her from the bottom of my heart for her honesty in, in what was at times quite a difficult conversation. Have a lovely day, whatever you're doing, and thank you for joining us on That's What She Said. Thank you for joining us on another episode of That's What She Said. This is a phenomenal collective of female voices from around the world and I'm sharing that to empower women to share our stories so that you know that you are not alone. I'm a woman who's gone through it all. Honestly, there is nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard before, either with my clients or through my own life journey. And we need to stop hiding behind a veneer of perfection. These stories are important and we need to share them loudly and proudly. And that's what we're doing on this 
series of That's What She Said. Thank you for joining us. I have been your host, Lucienne Shakir, and it has been an absolute pleasure to spend my time with these phenomenal women. <laughs>